Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12. And let's look at this verse together. Hatred stirs up strife. I'm reading this from a different translation because I think this translation does a really good job with the, with the original language here. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Love covers all offenses. Proverbs chapter 17, verse nine. Let's look at that together. Proverbs chapter 17. And I'm using the Bible because I want, I want this to be biblical, not my opinion. And I don't think you're interested in my opinion or you wouldn't be here. I think we want the Bible. Whoever covers an offense seeks love. Whoever covers an offense seeks love. Now remember that word right there, seeks love. But he who repeats a matter separates, separates close friends. Let's read that again. Whoever covers an offense seeks love. But he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Then I want us to go to 1 John. 1 John chapter 4. Usually Pastor Adam is reading these. 1 John chapter 4 verse 10. Don't you like the sound of pages turning? If they can make an app for your Bible phone that when you like put in a scripture or a reference and you hear the pages turning, that would be really cool, wouldn't it? First John 4 verse 10 says this. Who, um, says this here. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but he first loved us and sent his son to be the appropriation for our sins. And then lastly, I want to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is the most read chapter for weddings. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And if we could understand what 1 Corinthians says, it would be so much easier in marriage. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned and have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, it is kind. Now when this love here, we're reading here, this is God's love towards us, okay? Don't, con- don't compare yourself and the way you love and your natural love and your human love to this because it'll never compare. When we read this, a lot of times people get condemned, like, oh, I could never measure up to that. And that's exactly the point. That's why God first loved us. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Verse seven, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Lord, we pray that you would bless this word that we're gonna share in Jesus' name, amen. Um, we, live in a, we live in a world that is so narcissistic and it's very self-aware. And the attitude generally in life is, what can I get out of this life? What can I get out of this relationship? 
And there's one word for that, and that's a word that we use, entitlement. And people often ask, what can the government give me, or what can this church give me, or what do they owe me? This kind of human love is fallen, it's corrupt, and it's really toxic. And I think all of us in this room probably would agree with that. The natural love of people and all these types of love that people have fall short of God's love. And that's why we really need to start when we talk about this topic of love, we need to start with God's love and not our own love. Um, Self-love, really which drives so much in our world, self-love is a love that is easily wounded. It's, it's not bulletproof. It's self-love is something that is very sensitive. Uh, it's, it's kind of awkward to be around. Self-love is something that is a description of the last days that we live in. Self-love is easily wounded and it's so geared to its own self and is so aware of itself, it can't be easily healed. And I think one of the things that when we're dealing with um, relationships that we have, whether we're single or we're married, uh, we're dealing with the quality of love that God has towards us and how that impacts us. God's love transforms us first. God does not ask us to love him first because that's the Bible, the Ten Commandments. We read that, that love God, right? That's the law of Moses. But the law of Moses is something that could never be fulfilled without Jesus Christ. And that's why in Romans chapter 10, Jesus was the end of the law. Not that he was an anarchist. Jesus didn't come as a rebel or a loner. He didn't come to overthrow the law of God. Jesus came to fulfill the entire law of Moses. Jesus did that, amen? You can say amen here, it's all right. You could (laughs) be a little loud in here, it's okay. You're not gonna offend me. Uh, The love of Christ, the love of God motivated God to send Jesus Christ, amen? That love came because God loved the world. I was thinking about that this morning. What is in the world to love? There we go, thank you, (laughs) amen. God so loved the world, he sent his only son. Now, I mean, I have one son. I could not even fathom sending my son to a world that is non, that's not thankful, a world that's toxic, a world that is self-righteous, a world that is broken, that's corrupt, and that at the end, after my son would give all of his blood, all of his life, all of his goodness, everything he could ever give, and that would be, everyone would turn away from him at the cross. I, that is beyond me, and I can't even imagine that. That the love of God is where we start with. But self-love is easily wounded. I think whenever I'm offended personally, when I get offended, you guys get offended sometimes? When I'm offended, it's a sure sign. I don't like to think about it at the time because I'd be in my flesh. But when I'm offended, it means that I'm living in self-love. Because, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, God's love does not, is not easily offended. So what should I do with that? If I'm offended, do I condemn myself? No. I say, I'm offended. God, I confess that to you, 1 John 1, 9. I hide not my sin in, Romans, uh, in, in Psalm 51. I hide not my sin. I think when we sin, we're afraid to go to God about it. We try to justify, I'm a good Christian. I've been a Christian for 40 years. And I sin. We just go to God and say, God, this is what it is. And this is the power of confession. That we confess to Christ, who is the one mediator between God and man. And when we do that, we, he is faithful and just to forgive us to cleanse us and to wash us from the effects and corruption of sin in our life. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. 
That is the love of God. The love of God is, is that when we are offended, we can know, because there's only one thing in, in you and I that can be offended, and that is our flesh, our fallen nature. When we say our flesh, we're talking about that fallen part of us, the old sin nature. The old sin nature is in every one of us. And when we are born again, we are born of spirit, we're born of, we're born of God, but that old sin nature is there still. It's not, erad- it's not eradicated, and nor is it perfected out of us through an intentional sanctification. That is, that is sanctific- that is, um, that's a doctrine that the Bible does not teach. The Bible says in 1 John, if any man says he has no sin, he is a liar. So we are, we are sinners, and I say I'm a sinner, but what's the difference between saying I'm a sinner and being in the righteousness of God? I'm a sinner, yet therefore God's grace has, been shined, has shown upon me in the book of Titus. We were once foolishness, doing crazy corrupt things. Read that in the book of Titus. But after all that, it says, the mercy of God appeared to us. So it's, Christianity is not about perfecting yourself and being a better person. God does that. Jesus Christ does that. The love of God transforms us. I think that sometimes, because we're a grace, we're, we're a church that preaches grace, <clears throat> and sometimes people say, well, if you guys preach grace, then people are gonna go sin, they're gonna have a license to go sin. Look, we already have a license to sin. We are born sinners. Nobody needs to give us that license. Psalm 51, David said, I was born speaking lies, Right? We don't need a license to go, you know, okay, that church is giving me a license to sin. We already have that because we're sinners. What I'm saying is, is that if you meet Jesus Christ, and I I can't explain it, I can't tell you how it works, I can't tell you the mechanics, I can't tell you the psychology, but I can tell you that if you meet Jesus Christ, a change is gonna start in your life. A change is gonna start in your mental state. A change is gonna start in your relationships little by little. And don't get, in, don't, you know, don't get impatient with yourself. There's a process. And that process may take some time. Just walk in grace, walk in redemption, walk in forgiveness. Your daily, you know what repentance is? Repentance is just turning away from one thing to another. That's what it just means to turn the head, right? It's not, because it, I think in some religions, um, you have to show remorse for your sin. You have to show you have to show all of these emotions. And by the way, when we sin and sometimes we don't feel all these bad emotions, it's because there's a part of us that loves sin. Okay, I'm sorry if I'm, uh, you know, if it's shocking what I'm saying here, but I'm not always sorry for all of my sins. That's because there's a sinful part of me that loves sin. But there's a part of me that is, that is born from God and that doesn't sin and that's the new man, that's Christ in us. The part of us that mourns and that is sorrowful for sin is that new man inside of us, that Holy Spirit inside of us that's grieved when we sin. When we say something, oh, that hurt my partner, that hurt my friend, or that hurt somebody, that's the Holy Spirit. David said my, his heart smote him when he was disrespectful against the carnal king Saul. Okay, and that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit begins to speak to us and so self-love is easily wounded and when we're offended we just go God I'm offended my love is imperfect and thank you for showing me God my love is limited you know my faith is limited things are limited therefore I confess my weakness to you God and when we do that the compassion of it just we've been we, we begin to bathe in the compassion of God do you know that God 
was compassionate on the world, not because they were trying to be good, but God was compassionate on the world because they were broken. If you have a child that is failing in a cycle of failures, there's, there's a moment where there's something breaks inside of you as a parent, and you're like, oh man, you know. And what do we do? As a parent, we begin to narrow the options of that child. We begin to draw him in or draw her into our life, and we say, you know something, I, I wanna just narrow all your options because I want you to understand one thing, eye to eye, just, you know. And it's good, I'm, I think it's good that we have eye contact with our kids, right? It just lets them know that we love them and just, you know, and say, make sure that your son or your daughter knows that, they, that you love them. And say, I'm doing this because I love you. And that's never, as a kid, my dad would say that to me, I'm doing this because I love you. I'm like, <laughs> I don't even understand that. I mean, how can you love me and then spank me? But later on, you realize, because God's love is not a love. The point I'm making here is that the love of God is so great, it doesn't leave us in, us, in, in, us, in our sin, it takes us out and it changes us. And it doesn't leave us the same person. Um, self-love is overly occupied with ourselves every day and how much I should be loved and how much I need to be valued and needed and that's natural need. You know, and only God can do that. I think when we come into a relationship and we put on a person all of the expectations and all the things that we need in our soul and put it on that person, and by the way, we do this unconsciously. We're not aware of it. And the only time, many times, we become aware of it is when, we, is when something's offended or when someone fails, fails that love or fails that attention or fails that need that I have. And when that happens, we realize only in God is my soul at rest. In him is my salvation, like David said. We put our expectations in him. And when we're occupied with ourselves every day and how much we need to be loved, valued, and needed, um, we can only look to God and only get that there. Cain was wounded. Cain was hurt. Why? Because God didn't, didn't take his hard work. I think there's a measure of pride in and we can look at the hard work we do and say, look at I did. And this is actually something that God gave Adam and Eve. Um, he said, go into the world, be fruitful and multiply. He's giving us this drive to be fruitful, to reproduce, to, to be creative. But I think that whenever our self-image or our sense of self-worth is, is, is offended by someone rejecting what we did, then, then we can say, okay, end of self, self ends, and now this is where God takes over. And I'm gonna talk about that in a second. The Greeks were all about the intellectual. The Romans were all about dominion and authority. But Paul the apostle was really about understanding and seeking love. The love of God is not just this emanating energy that's vibrating from a being in the heavens. The love of God is, is a person that thinks, that talks, that walks, that heals, that loves, that interacts, that intervenes, and that's Jesus Christ. The love of God incarnated is Christ. It's Jesus Christ. Self-love, we know what that is. And sometimes we don't even know what it is until it ends. But then the loving, the seeking love of God takes over, and I love this. I love that when we come to the end of ourselves and we say, God, I'm at the end. John chapter six, it says, and Matthew chapter, 10, Matthew chapter 20, or is it, is it chapter 14, the, the, the disciples come to the end of themselves. And at that moment in Romans chapter eight, when we don't know how to pray as we ought, we don't know how to act as we ought, that's when the Holy Spirit 
begins to quicken us. That's when the Holy Spirit begins to take over. When we don't know how to pray anymore and say, God, I just don't know how to pray. Sometimes there's moments where it's like, I don't have the capacity to pray or even ask God. And I just quietly listen and I say, Lord, let me hear the Holy Spirit praying for me. Let me hear, I'm sorry, Jesus Christ praying for me because he's the intercessor. See, he is the intercessor. God's love is a seeking love. And that's why it says in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12, if we understand the love of God, we're seeking that love and we're, and we're not making offenses the issue. Yes, of course we have to deal with mistakes. But we're not walking around in, in Proverbs 17, verse 9 and Matthew 18, verse 15. We're not telling people, uh, we're, not exp- we're not walking around causing division. We are sacred people. Every person in this room is sacred. Very sacred. And I think that that as a pastor and as a church, I think as a pastor, especially as a pastor, we need to understand as pastors how sacred God's people are. That these are just not, these are just not units that give money and that sit in our chair. <laughs> these, are, these are people that Jesus Christ shed, their, shed his blood for them. Sacred, very sacred. As a matter of fact, do you remember when Mary, the mother of Jesus, is pregnant with Jesus and she meets up with Elizabeth who's pregnant with John the Baptist. What happens? Right? John the Baptist leaps in the womb of Elizabeth. That's kind of like, and it's kind of an interesting illustration, but it's kind of like church life, isn't it? We meet together and there's something that leaps inside of us and that's Jesus Christ. It's the spirit in us that says, oh, Christ is in Franz. Christ is in Lizzie, you know? Christ is in the body and when we're around them, we, in, in our hearts, in our hearts, we should, we should take a knee, right? In respect, in our hearts to one another. And I think you can never go wrong with respect. Even when there's someone that has no personal dignity for themselves, respect them. And that's what the love of God does. The love of God seeks because, because you know, here's, here's Satan and says, because Satan is always accusing in, Romans, in Revelations chapter 12, verse 10, He's always accusing you to God. And we don't even know it. Job chapter one, right? God's saying to God, I'm sorry, Satan is saying to God, look at Job. He's only thanking you because you blessed him, right? There's that conversation. Job goes through everything he goes through and God blesses him at the end. There's this respect, there's this dignity. See, I think that there's times when, when, um, when we could actually re- receive accusations from the enemy about ourselves. And when we don't even understand our own personal value, Christ values us. Remember the woman that was caught in adultery? John chapter eight. The Pharisees, the professional religious operatives, right? The keepers, the gatekeepers of the law, the gatekeepers of the righteousness of God. You can only get this if you give enough money in the synagogue, right? And they come to Jesus and say, this woman was caught in adultery, right? And Jesus does not even engage the conversation. I love that. Because righteousness, the love of God, does not engage in conversations about people's brokenness publicly. Isn't that amazing? That's, I love that. That's just the, you know, when, when, when Saul ended his life at the, at the battlefield, and, and the news is like, it's like really juicy information, right? Wow, Saul, the king, the controversial king, you know, Chasing David, his life is ended on the field. And David gets the information, right? And I like how David, you know, if you're in the military, if you have a military background, read the life of David. Read, read about how, he, how he, did, he, he worked with his men, the 600 
mighty men that he had. I, just, just, I think it would really resonate with you. And so, so David's like, he says, don't publish this information in the land of the Philistines because the enemy will rejoice. And we don't want the enemy rejoicing. The enemies of God, the enemies of God's people rejoicing over broken, over the failure of a king, a, a godly king, Israeli king. The, the dignity that, the love of God restores dignity to a person. It restores honor, it, resp- it restores respect, it restores the sense, because it seeks us out. And when Adam and Eve sinned, God sought them out. I love that, don't you love that? When we sin and we're broken, and we're like a burning wreck on the side of the road, you know, people just drive by. You ever see that a crash on the side of the road? This is Texas, I think people would pull over and help. But I mean, you just, you just drive by and there's like a wreck and you're like, you know what, I've gotta to go to this appointment. God seeks us out. And what does he do? God puts, he decides to put Adam and Eve, uh, put a frame around them to reveal his love to him. And when the woman is caught in adultery, I didn't finish that illustration, these, these Pharisees are like, the law of Moses says this, what do you say? And Jesus is like saying nothing, right? Because that's a conversation, he's not, he's not gonna get into this conversation of good and evil about people, which is so ju- like such juicy information. And basically Jesus, the problem Jesus has is not first with the woman, because she did sin. The problem is that he has is with the, with the Pharisees who call themselves judges, who call themselves the elite, the the accomplished, and he says, you that are without sin, some commentators say, and there's no way to prove this, but it, it, it's interesting to think, some commentators say that Jesus is saying to these guys, you that have not committed the same sin with the same person, right, cast the first stone. There's no way to prove that, but it's that you that are without sin, cast the first stone. And what happens, the oldest from the youngest walk out in that order, right? And then, and the whole time Jesus is speaking, he's on his, like, he's crouched down. And the woman's on the ground, so he's, he's eye to eye with her on the ground. And the, you know, the, the, the Pharisees are all, you know, bearing down, looking down. And Jesus says to the woman, where are your accusers? There are none, Lord. Neither do I accuse you. The only one that could accuse, the only righteous, the only qualified individual or person or angel or divine being that could ever accuse anyone, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, does not accuse. Isn't that amazing? What dignity, the love of God. There's no, this world cannot give you dignity. It, cannot, it can give you accomplishment, it can give you a sense of worth because you have a certain amount of something, but that can go in a day. The love of God, Jesus, and I say this sometimes often here, but I'm just astounded at the dignity that Jesus has dealing with a person that has fallen into sin dignity, all right? How often do we have a church leader fail? And that's always heartbreaking. This, you know, we have things, we have as leaders, we have, and as Christians, not just leaders, but Christians, we have things that are put in place where that's never gonna be a provision in our life. But when, it, when there's that failure, when that happens, it's amazing how the first people are to attack usually is the church. I remember recently uh, a very well-known individual that passed away, some information got out about them. I didn't read the articles. I don't wanna read those articles about people. That's between them and God. And there was, a, so it pops up in my RSS feeds, you know, blank, you know, the name of the person. It's coming out, but you know, controversial information. And, and it's like, you know, and it comes from a Christian magazine that's very popular. And I was like, I was like, how can we 
How can we uncover the thing that God has covered with his blood? How can we traffic information? Let's bring that to the, how can I traffic information about somebody in the church that's not even mine to traffic? Um, I didn't plan to talk about this, but in Leviticus 16, I believe it is, the scapegoat, right, that would come to the priest and the priest would lay his hands on the scapegoat and he would confess all the sins of Israel, which probably took days. <laughs> He's just confessing them all, right? And he said, this sin and that sin and, you know, Johnny did this and, you know, Susie, you know, and he's going through all of these sins and, he's, and he puts it on the scapegoat. What happens to that goat? It says that a fit man, fit man, not just some, but somebody that was fit, would take him into the wilderness after, and, and, and take him in, and he would, and, and, would, and would live there and they would be out there. And, that, and it's a place that it said that was uninhabited wilderness. And what does that mean? It says that God takes our sins as far as from us, from the east as from the west, and nobody can go there. It's not, it's, that's what the Old Testament um, principle of forgiveness is this, is that God separates our sin from us. Not only is it forgiven and separated, but it's, forgiveness is the type of word in a way that's put that if I was to even try to remember somebody else's sin or to remember my own sin or try to go back into that information and drag it out and let, I'm stealing, I'm guilty of theft because it's no longer mine. It's in a wilderness, it's uninhabited out there. Isn't it amazing? God wants us to understand, when you understand dignity, it doesn't make you wanna go out and live, live the, like the way we used to. It just does something different, like wow. I'm valuable to God, you're valuable to God. And that's why someone can come into the church, anybody can come into the church and understand dignity. And you know, the story ends with John chapter eight, the woman walks, you know, go and sin no more, and that's where the story ends. I think some of us would like to hear, and she never sinned again, right? <laughs> we, God doesn't give us that, the closure in that, right? Here's Noah, he gets, you know, he's drunk, and it's, he's, you know, he's in his tent, something happens there with his kids, and it's just a wreck, and, and, and it doesn't say, and Noah never sinned again. Why is that? Because that is the end of the story. I mean, I have my own thoughts about that, but the end of the story is, is that we are forgiven, go and sin no more. We don't get the, the human sense of justice, that satisfaction of, oh, and she never sinned again. Therefore, you should never sin again. Like, we don't get that. Because it's, it's in the hands of God, it's God's business. Do you understand what I'm saying? Um, God's seeking love is, is seeking us out. You know, God wants to teach us something deeper. Then I want to talk about love here and I want to talk about marriage in a second. God wants to teach us something deeper than our preferences. You know, we have preferences. I like things a certain way. Uh, you know, I like things, I think all of us are that way. I don't prefer things a certain way. But God wants to teach us something deeper than our preferences. He wants to teach us his love that we could have all that we want and not even have love. I remember being in Iraq. I was thinking about this this morning. I was in Iraq. We were in northern Iraq in, a, in the Kurdish-held areas, Kurdish territories. Kurds are descendants of the Medes, the Medes and the Persians, right, in the book of Daniel. They, they have a language that's related to Farsi that's related to Iranian. And we were there with a small group of us and we were traveling around there um, with a translator who was 20 years old, who is 22 now. And he had just gotten saved the week before and he got thrown out of his house 
and his life was in danger because he became a Christian. He had nowhere to live. And so we took him with us. We gave him a salary, daily salary to translate for us, me and this one other guy that was with me. And we traveled. I, and I said, his name is um, Abraham in English, Ibrahim, which is in, in his language. I think I said that right. And uh, I said, take us to the place where you think the neediest people are. You know, don't take us to the places where all the other missionaries go to. Take us to where you think the real need is. So we just get in this car vehicle. <laughs> you know, it's like we're driving around Erbil and we leave Erbil. We're leaving. We're going to a, a Syrian refugee camp. And um, it's a part of town. It's a part of town in Erbil that are Syrians that, are, that have just come in from Syria that were being, you know, that in, we don't need to get into the stories, but it was just horrendous what was happening in Syria. Um, with um, snipers and just really a bad scene. And this one family had come and they had two young daughters and we walked to their house and their house is really not a house, it's a, it's a shipping container. It's like a Chinese shipping container that has been converted to two living units. And on each side of the container was an entrance to like a double room. And so we go into one of these rooms, there's no windows. And the floor is like, there's really no floor there. And um, we go in, there's like some benches on the side of the wall and that's it, just, so we sit down and this, this, um, this man comes to us and I remember his name, but he came and welcomed us. You ever wanna be treated with some incredible hospitality? Go to, go to the Middle East, it's incredible. They treat you like incredible. And so me and my, me, our, my bro, a brother of mine, um, Billy and then, and, and then Abraham, we sat down, we started talking. The, the wife came out and they have nothing. There's no fridge, there's nothing there. They come out and they make this coffee, probably the worst tasting coffee I've ever had in my entire life. But they made it and they treated us like, you know, and they were so honored that we would be there. And we just were there like, we just, we just said, look, we wanna tell you God loves you. In a very simple way, because Islam is just has all these concepts about Jesus and we talked about the son of God, prophet, but our savior. And in such humility, they received what we had to say. And they, as we're drinking this coffee, right? The thing about coffee is that it can be as bad as possible, but enough sugar will make anything taste good. <clears throat> so we're drinking this and, and we're talking, and we're there three hours talking to these people. And the wife was sitting there and the two daughters came out. One of the daughters sang us a song um, in, in, um, in Kurdish. It's just amazing. And I sensed the love of God in that room. Like I'd never, I mean, it's just incredible. Christ was there with us. Christ was loving on these people. Do you know why? Because God wants to take us beyond something that is just our preferences. Remember, we were in Northwest China, which is also Islamic. People don't realize that. One of the largest provinces in, in China is Islamic. It's a Xinjiang province, and it's a Turkic people group. Um, and they are related to the, um, they're related to um, the Mongols and they're related to uh, the Kazakhs and the, and the Kyrgyz. And the same thing, we went to a village, I could tell you stories like this all day, we went to a village, not even on the map, not even on the Chinese map, because uh, in China they don't put these cities on the maps because, and there's no addresses and these people have like, there's no phones in the village, so um, these, this, there's Uyghur, which is the name of the people, this guy we met, at a coffee shop, long story short, he takes us to his village, we start meeting people, we're there all day. We go house to house to house to house, same situation, dirt floors, um, crazy tea and crazy coffee, and no phones, and we sat there, and, there's, and we met the imam. 
The imam is like the priest of the city. He's like the, he's like the pastor, like a reverend over the whole deal. And he comes out, very short people, by the way. We were all like giants. Like, did you see pictures of us? It's like me and this other guy, his name was Ghani. He's actually Kyrgyz, he was my translator. And we were there, we're like these towering, and these people were like, this, the, the, the imam was about that tall. It was like I was like in Hobbit land or something. And they're all short people, not to be disrespectful, but, and I'm, you know, and I saw, okay, the guy's coming towards me. And I'm thinking, okay, we're in trouble, you know. And so he comes and shakes my hand and he welcomes us very, he says, come to my house. His wife is there, you know, she's very sick. And he shares with us and I said, Do you, are you a believer in God? And he goes, oh, yes, I am. Of course you are, right? And he brings out one page of the Quran. That's all he had was one page of the Quran. He says, we're not allowed to have any more pages of the Quran. What they do is that, and he showed us in the little mosque, they were made out of wood. And he says, and he took the pages and he just said, he showed it to me. You know, he showed it to me. He didn't understand that we're Protestants. He didn't understand, you know, we didn't even say that. We just said we're followers of Jesus. You know, we're followers of Christ. And, and he didn't know anything about the Quran except for that one page. And I don't know what, what page that was. And we're talking to him. He's listening to us with just such great intent, right? And he's got no food and he just gives us some, some candy uh, because it was a, it was a, it was a holiday um, where they celebrate. It's kind of like Yom, Yom Kippur, I think, in the Jewish calendar. And so he gives us his candy and we're sharing with him and he's, you know, we said, you know, do you know who Jesus is? Yes, I believe in Jesus. Like he didn't know he was just a prophet. He understood he was the son of God. This is an imam over a village of 10,000 people that's not even on the Chinese map. And we're sitting there talking to this guy. And you could tell Christ was in the room, ministering to this guy. And this guy was riveted, like, you know. I think the Holy Spirit speaks to people things that don't even know the Bible because they have a heart to know God. And that doesn't mean that we live outside of the revelation of the Bible if we have it. But anyway, we're sitting there and I remember sensing the love of God for this person. And he said, and we didn't know this, his wife's in the other room, and he said, my wife's very sick, would you pray for her? Right, I said, of course we would, so we went over. He explained, he's talking to his wife before we start praying for her, and I asked my translator, I said, what's he saying? He said, this is what he's saying, these men are from God, they're going to pray for you, you put your trust in God, and God will heal you. Right, he said, okay, now pray for my wife. We prayed over her, I don't know what happened. And there's two guys there that we spent the entire day with, and to this day, we don't know where that village was. Um, it was like a half hour from the city. Um, and Ghani doesn't have the information about how to get in touch with them. We don't know what's happening in that village. But I believe the love of God goes beyond our preferences. It goes beyond our desires. It goes beyond why. It doesn't, because it's bigger than man. It's bigger than the natural. It's bigger than things. And I need to get to the part that I promised I was going to talk to you guys about, about marriage. Um, Sometimes we live worried about all the details, right? Instead of the principle of God seeking love. Um, if we get the principles of God's love right, then all the details are gonna come together. That's what we need to focus on, the love of God. Not on all the details and the appearance of things, but if we get the, if we get the prime thing right, the love of God, everything else is gonna work out. Somebody said to me in a conversation at the, at the retreat when we had with the men, we went to Mike's ranch, they said, if perfect practice makes perfect. And the person's in the room, they know who I'm talking about. What that means is this, is like we can do all the practice, right? But we get a different, in this case, the conversation was about guns. Uh, this is Texas, we can talk about guns, right? Um, if, you, if perfect practice, right, you can use any gun and you're gonna get it right, right? Pretty much. 
But if you're just doing practicing, you're only stuck on one, on one thing and then you're not gonna get the other thing right. If we get the main thing right, the perfect, if we have perfect practice, if we under the, understand the perfect principle of God's love, all the other details are gonna work out, right? And we don't need to live in worry. Romans chapter five, verse five, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. And the vision for our life goes beyond ourselves. It goes to other lands. You know, you wonder, like when I remember I was growing up in, in, in a church in Maine, and I remember a missionary came, and they were telling us how they didn't have food, had to pray for their food every day. And I'm like, man, I do not want that. <laughs> I don't want that kind of life, you know? Like who wants to go somewhere on a mission, not know the language and not have any money for food? And I remember, and I remember listening to this missionary, and, he, and I could see the love of God he had for people. And that pushes us, it pushes us beyond our own preferences and our own world and our own culture. And I wanna say this about this, please don't get so political that we lose our, our vision for the gospel. Meaning, when I see someone who's Chinese or Russian or someone who's South American or, or any nationality, don't let politics first taint your vision that God has for that person. Let the love of the gospel speak to people. It doesn't matter what nation someone is. God loves all nations. God said this, he said to the Old, in the Old Testament, my house will be a house of the nations. The church of God should look very international. And I think our church is, right? We even have some Yankees in the room. I think that it should be international. I want to finish up. There's 13 characteristics of God's love I don't think I'm going to get to, but I want to say a couple things about love, okay? About marriage. Next week, we're going to talk about marriage, so we'll do that, okay? So, a little spoiler alert for next week. I just want to say um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven things about, about God's love in marriage. And I'm actually quoting someone here that I read this past week, actually on Valentine's Day, uh, a woman by the name of Ann Volskamp. And she writes this, listen to this, about love. In 2 Samuel 1, verse 26, agapes, agape surpasses a love for a woman. David and Jonathan had this relationship that was deeper than sex. They were not homosexuals, as some people would say. They were godly friends. And this is a love that went beyond anything physical. Second Samuel chapter 1, verse 26. Number one, passionate love is far from falling in love. Passion literally means to suffer, which means lovers are the long sufferers. The real romantics simply let another heart bore down into deep down into their own until the two become one, which is to say it's the old lovers who've suffered through much who are the most passionate of all. Where two hearts repair a heartbreak by grafting together, they can become the strongest right there at the break. And it's the old love that's the most suggestive love of all because it suggests that the whole of us is actually seen and known and we are still wholly loved. It is only in being really known in ways that we wish nobody ever knew that we ever really know what it means to be loved. That's 1 John 3, verse 20, right? And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if our heart condemns us, he's greater than our heart because he knows all things. If God knows everything about you yet loves you, that makes us have confidence. She goes on here, it says, marriage isn't always about being happy. Marriage is about always growing in the right direction. Amen? If a marriage isn't changing, growing even slowly, it's dying. Pursuing an unchangeable state of happiness will lead you to a stagnant state of despair. 
Happiness-centered marriages implode because that shifting center cannot hold. It is not the absence of infatuation that makes a marriage unhappy, but the absence of deep attachment, deep knowledge. And the last thing she says, honeymoon love is an exhilarating part of it all, but it's the love that stays. It's the love that stays that makes a love story amazing. Isn't that amazing? It's the love that stays. I'm gonna close with that. God's love stays. God's committed. It's, God is not a romantic. He's, he, he's, he's staying with us and he, he, he will not stop loving us. That's the challenge today, to love people and not to quit. To love people even when they're not changed. And then the last thing I want to say here is that the 13th thing that I want to say, and next week we'll cover the 13th, lover, love, love suffers long. A long, time it may me, a long time it may not go my way, but it suffers long. And how can we do that? We can only do that by looking at the love of God. Look at the love of God. Keep yourself, the writer of Jude said this, keep yourself in the love of God. All right, keep yourself in the love of God. Keep yourself there. Don't look at yourself we're gonna fall down, just look at Christ, look at his unconditional love towards you, and let it change you. There's something about the human nature, and I don't know how it works, but there's something inside of us that when we detect true love, because we're not dummies, when we detect true love, love that's unconditional, that's authentic and real, it changes us, it changes us, and we walk away where it's like, something changed, something's different, and that's because of Christ, the love of God. Amen.